Awesome. Thank you, Vaughn, for reading the word. Um, happy Tuesday, City Let You. Yeah, it's Tuesday. Tim, can you hit the lights, please? I want to see you guys. Um, so, yeah, my name is Jacob, and I'm part of the staff team here at City Light U. And as Vaughn said, we're going to be in Galatians 4, verses 21 to 31 tonight. And I'm excited to preach a message that I've titled, Pick a Side. Pick a Side. This whole section of Scripture is it's set up as a comparison. It's Paul showing us the difference between living under the law and living under grace. He's showing us that the two are completely different from each other. They come from two different sources. They're dependent on, on two different things, and then they ultimately lead to two different ends. And so as a result, because we have these two differences, we need to pick a side. Now, if you've been with us recently, you know that we're going straight through the book of Galatians here on Tuesday nights, and we're learning that there is one gospel. There's one source of good news. There's one way that we can be saved, and that way has a name. His name is Jesus, right? He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Yet the problem with the Christians that Paul is writing to in this book is that they had forgotten the gospel they believed. They were being deceived into thinking that, that in order to really get into right standing with God, they, yes, needed to believe in Jesus, but also they needed to be circumcised. They needed to add a work to what Jesus had done. They were believing that Jesus was not enough, that his death on the cross was not sufficient for them, that they had to add to Jesus' work. And as a result, Paul's rebuking them. He's telling them, you're, you're mistaken, and he's reminding them of the true gospel that they had believed at first. And so tonight, we're going to see how he closes out the argument section of the book. He's been in this argument since the beginning of chapter 3, so we've heard a lot of messages um, through this, this argument. And so tonight he's going to close it out, and he's going to use an, a test, an Old Testament story to illustrate his point. He's going to use the story of Abraham, two women, and two sons. Now, Paul, when he's writing to the Galatians, he's assuming that the Galatians know this story, so he uses it more of just like a, a quick reference to illustrate a point. But I've talked to a few of you guys this week, and I realize that we don't know the story of Abraham and Sarah and Hagar as well as these people may have. So... Instead of telling you like a clever story to open up the message, I'm going to tell you the story of Abraham, two women, and two sons. Sound good? But first, let's read what Paul says about it. It's Galatians 4, 21 to 23. He says this, Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. And so we're going to start. We've got one big idea for the night, and we see it even in these verses. And I'm going to phrase our big idea in the form of a question. That question for each of us is, will you choose to rely on human effort or divine power? Will you choose to rely on human effort or divine power? This is a question that we're going to continue asking through the message. So if you want to write it down now, you can, or you can wait till the next time I ask it. But we're going to keep asking it. So a long, long time ago, in Genesis chapter 12, God tells a man named Abraham, he tells him to leave the land that he was living in and to go to the land that God was going to show him. And with this instruction came a promise from God. God promised that he was going to make Abraham into a great nation. So after hearing from God, Abraham believes the Lord's promise. He follows the Lord to this land, and time begins to pass. 
Abraham's in the land, and God says, this is where I want you. Yet there was a problem, and that problem is that Abraham didn't have children yet. So how was he supposed to be made into this great nation if he had no offspring? And then it gets worse. Not only did he not have children, but he was unable to have children because his wife, Sarah, was barren. She could not have kids. And so as a result, a servant in Abraham's household was the one who was lined up to receive the promise from God. And so the question is, was God not faithful to his promise? Well, the Lord speaks, and he tells Abraham that, in fact, a servant is not going to be his heir, but rather, Abraham's very own son is going to be his heir. It's going to be his own flesh and blood, God says. So God makes this promise. Abraham believes the promise, and the Bible says that Abraham's belief is then credited to him as righteousness. So this seems like a a really good story up to this point, right? Like, God has has been blessing Abraham. He's been promising things to him. Now God's going to fulfill that promise, he says, through his own flesh and blood. But then it gets a little bit messy, because Abraham's wife, Sarah, knows that she can't have children. And so she gives Abraham advice to go sleep with her slave girl named Hagar, saying that perhaps I can build a family through her. And Abraham then takes the advice of, of Sarah. He sleeps with Hagar, and sure enough, Hagar gets pregnant. I'm going to use the whiteboard tonight. We're going to say that this pregnancy was the result of completely human effort. This pregnancy was human effort. They simply did what made sense. They decided that the only way to, to receive the promise of God, that God promised Abraham, was going to be if they took care of it themselves. If they relied on the flesh to make it happen. They did what made sense. They gave the young, the fertile Hagar to Abraham, and Hagar gets pregnant. See, they chose human effort, but God had a different plan. See, immediately after Hagar gets pregnant, there's animosity between Sarah and Hagar and between Sarah and Abraham. There's conflict in the house, and this is one good example of why it's a bad idea to have two wives, just saying. But um, Hagar flees. God provides for her. He sees her. He protects her, and her son is born. Ishmael is born, and now Abraham has one son. One solo son. And then 14 years later, God appears again to Abraham, and this time he tells him something different. This time he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations, not just one. And this is significant because God's telling him many nations is basically telling Abraham, you're going to have more kids. Ishmael's not going to be your only son. And he goes on to promise more things to Abraham, but the most significant promise for our story tonight is that God promises that he's going to bless Sarah and he's going to give Abraham a son through her. And I love how the Bible describes Abraham's response. So I'm going to read it. It's Genesis 17, 17. It's on the screen. It says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? The answer is yes. Because God made a promise, and because God is a God who keeps his promises. This miraculous event was God's plan from the very beginning. And not only will there be a son born to barren Sarah, but it's going to be 
through this son that God establishes his covenant with Abraham forever. This is the son of the promise. He is the, uh, the result of divine power. See, Ishmael was born as the result of human effort. Isaac was born as the result of divine power. You see a difference, again, from the very beginning. Human effort versus divine power. I mean, think about it. Sarah, she was barren when she was younger. Now she's old. She's been through everything that women go through, if you're picking up what I'm throwing down. And she should not be able to get pregnant right now, right? But God made a promise, and God fulfilled that promise with his power. Isaac was born as the result of divine power. And God tells Abraham that it's through Isaac and not Ishmael that the promise is going to be fulfilled. So that's the Genesis story that God, or that Paul is referencing. It's the story of a man, of two women, and two sons. It's the story contrasting human effort with divine power. So why does Paul, though, bring this story up in the book of Galatians? Well, because religion, religion depends on human effort, while the gospel depends on divine power. Religion depends on human effort. The gospel depends on divine power. The Christians in Galatians were were being deceived into thinking that they had to add human effort to Jesus' work in order to really be in right standing with God. But the good news is that the gospel shows God's divine power at work in and through Jesus. And it's his power that restores our broken relationship with God. The promise made to Abraham to bless him and to make him a blessing for the nations did not come through the slave woman did not come through the story of human effort. Rather, it came through the story of the free woman, of divine power. Let's look at this more. Galatians 4, 24 to 27. He, he writes on, he says, Now this story may be interpreted allegorically. So yes, it was a historical story, but now Paul is going to take it, and he's going to interpret it in an allegorical manner. He says, These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She's Hagar. Now, Hagar, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband." So we saw how there was a choice between um, human effort and divine power with Abraham and, and Sarah. But now we're going to see how that same choice is presented to each and every one of us. Paul uses that historical story to paint a picture to show us that it's actually an allegory of two covenants. Of a covenant that depends on human effort or a covenant that depends on divine power. And the question remains, will you choose to rely on human effort or on divine power. So the first covenant that Paul brings up here is the covenant of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. It's where the people of Israel vowed that they were going to obey God, and it's where the people of Israel failed in their obedience to God. Mount Sinai is synonymous with the law. And so watch what Paul does here. In verse 24, he brings up slavery and Hagar, and he triggers the Genesis story in the mind of the readers they would realize immediately that Hagar was the one who gave birth to Ishmael and that those two did not receive the promised blessing of God that God promised Abraham. Hagar and Ishmael were not the benefactors of that promise. 
And that's a big deal for them to realize because everyone reading this letter wanted to make sure that they were the ones that were under God's blessing. So listen to how this plays out. The Jews, the ones who were promoting circumcision as a, part, as a way to really um, be in right standing with God, to really be a part of God's family, they wanted to do so because they thought that that was the way to be under God's blessing. And the Christians in Galatia were, were falling for the Jewish false teaching because they were being deceived into thinking that if they were circumcised, then they would be under God's blessing. See, both of the groups were seeking to be right in the eyes of the law because they thought that that was the way to receive God's blessing. Both groups seeking to be made right in the eyes of the law because they thought that that was the way they were going to receive God's blessing. But both groups are about to get a wake-up call. Verse 25 it says, now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. And they would look at that and they would agree, right? Hagar, she's the one who's outcasted. She's in Arabia. She's away from us. She's not receiving God's blessing. She's in slavery. And then Paul says, well, she corresponds to the present Jerusalem. In other words, Hagar, well, that's you, Jewish leaders. That's you who are depending on the law to be made right with God. You are the ones who are not under God's blessing. Like Hagar, she's in slavery with all of her children. All of you who rely on the law are actually in slavery. So that's like a slap in the face to these people who are reading this letter. That when, when Paul talks about the present Jerusalem, it's like today when someone references Washington, D.C., and we think about political leaders, or when on the news we hear Moscow, and our first thought is Putin. See, Paul here is saying that Jerusalem, the Jewish religious leaders, the ones who are so incredibly proud of their heritage as children of Abraham, are actually living as if they're children of Hagar and not of Sarah. They're living as if they're children of the slave woman, as if they are the ones who were sent away, the ones who did not receive the promise of God. And Paul tells them straight up that they're in slavery, that they're not the benefactors of the promise. They're in slavery because they're living independence on the law. They're depending on the law, thinking that it's through that that they're going to be in right relationship with God. And I've seen this play out in my life too. About seven years ago, I, like the Galatian Christians, felt like I was under this, this false understanding that I had to perform in order to earn the favor of God. Like the Jewish leaders and like the Galatian Christians, I wanted nothing more than for the Lord to be proud of me. So I desperately wanted to live under God's blessing, but the way I was going about it was wrong. I had a wrong understanding of how to live under God's blessing. I did not fully understand what Jesus had done for me. I was depending on the law as a way to earn the favor of God. And how this looked, one example, is that I would attend these 5 a.m. prayer meetings a few days a week. And at these meetings, people are sharing prophetic words that the Lord would give them. They're, they're praying in tongues, and, and a lot of times I was, getting, I was getting prophesied over, and God was speaking words to me, and, and I was being ministered to. But even in that time, there began to be these insecurities that, that came up in me. And these insecurities came because I wasn't receiving prophetic words to share with people and because I wasn't praying in tongues. And so I thought the only way to make sure that I can be filled with the Spirit in such a way that, that I can do these things and, and pray in tongues and all this stuff is if I just obey the law more. That surely if I just obey God more, pray more, read the Bible more, evangelize, don't lust as much, then 
I would be as holy as the people in this prayer meeting. But throughout that time, my thinking was wrong. See, instead of depending on the goodness of Jesus and believing that he gives each of us different gifts for different purposes, I was depending on my righteousness. I thought that the only way to be as holy as others was to try harder, and I didn't realize that Jesus' holiness is given to me as a gift through faith in him. It's a gift. It's something I could never earn. To sum it up, I would say that I was living a life that was trusting in Jesus for my salvation, but trusting in the law for my sanctification. I was trusting that Jesus would get me to heaven, but I was depending on my own efforts to make me look more like Jesus here on the earth. Can I tell you something? That's a bad way to live. It leads to depression, to anger, to sadness, because we can never measure up to the standards of the law. We can't even measure up to our own standards. See, I felt like the Galatians in that season, with a good desire to please God, but going about it in the wrong way, trapped in slavery. And that's the reality for all who depend on the law. That's the reality for all whose spiritual mother is Hagar. But city like you, there's hope. There's another Jerusalem, and that's the Jerusalem above. Verse 26, Paul says, But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. And I think it's interesting here that Paul says, he uses the word our. It's our mother. Because the last few chapters of this book, he's been correcting and rebuking the Galatians for, for entertaining this false gospel. But here, he reassures them. He identifies himself with them, saying that they both have the same mother, the Jerusalem that's above pointing to Sarah, pointing to the promise and the power of God. See, just as the promise of God was fulfilled by the power of God in Sarah's life, so it is for each and every one of us who believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus. How can the barren woman rejoice? How can the desolate woman have more children than the the one who has a husband? Not by human effort, not by performing well in order to please God. No, the only way that the barren can rejoice and can have children is if the power of God shows up. And guess what? The power of God has shown up. It showed up for Sarah. It showed up in Galatia. And it's shown up for you and for me. The power of God is here. Why can I say that? Because the Bible says that. Romans 1 and verse 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also for the Greek. So where those living in dependence on the law are trapped, those who believe in the gospel have life. One covenant is defined by human effort and dependence on the law. The other covenant is divine power. That's characterized by dependence on the gospel. We see this contrast, human effort, divine power, depending on the law or depending on the gospel. And it's here on this side that we truly see the power of God displayed. See, guys, the gospel is good news. It's the power of God. It's the good news of God that runs through the Old Testament, and it continues for each and every one of us today. I want to show you this. The the quote that Paul uses in verse 27 It comes from Isaiah 54 and verse 1, which says this, More are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. This message was spoken by Isaiah in the Old Testament to the Jews, to the very ones who were a fulfillment of the promise that God had made to Abraham years and years earlier. But at this time when they received the word, 
It was some 1,200 years after Abraham lived, and the Jewish people, the Israelites, Abraham's offspring, were in exile. They had rebelled against God. They were being punished for their sins. We would look at them, and we would say that they were utter failures. But God speaks words of hope to them. He reminds them that instead of choosing the young, fertile Hagar, God chose the old, barren, failure of a woman, Sarah, to bring forth the promised son. Tim Keller, he comments on this, and I love what he says, so I'm going to read it. He says that God is essentially telling the people of Israel through Isaiah this, now that you're helpless, you will see that it is the weak in whose lives my grace works. The strong are too busy relying on themselves. I will make you numerous and great. Friends, if you feel weak, helpless, today, if you feel like you're trapped in sin, believing that there's hope for everyone else, but not for you, I want to tell you something. There's hope for you too. In fact, you're a perfect candidate for the grace of God. The strong are too busy relying on themselves. The weak know their need for a savior. God made a promise to Abraham. He told him that Sarah would bear a son. The barren would rejoice. And it would be through that son that God would bring his blessing into the world. So Sarah gave birth to Isaac. A family was started, and through this family, God would bring the ultimate promised son with a capital S, whose name is Jesus. See, after Isaac came 41 generations of broken people, prostitutes, foreigners, adulterers, murderers, a rich king with hundreds of wives. That's just to name a few of the people in the line. But then, from that broken lineage came Jesus, the product of another unlikely birth. This time it wasn't a barren woman. Instead, it was a young virgin. And through that woman came the promised son, Jesus. See, Jesus was born as the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, a son through whom all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Jesus came from a line of weak and sinful people, and he died for every single one of them. He came for the barren, the outcast, the poor, the king, the prince, and the religious. Jesus came showing the power of God to all who would believe, so that all who believe can be saved. So we ask again, how can the barren have children? How can the desolate have more than the one of her who has a husband? Not through depending on the law, not through human effort, but through depending on the power of God. See, when I was trapped in law-dependent, in that way of thinking as, as a way to gain God's favor, I was dying inside. I was insecure, always doubting what God had given me. But then God in his grace showed me the truth of his word. He showed me that through the gospel, because of Jesus, because of the power of God, God now sees me in Christ. And so because of my faith in Jesus, what's true of Jesus all of a sudden becomes true of me. That I'm a child of God, predestined to sonship. That God has accepted me. That I've been brought to the fullness of Christ. That I'm one with the Lord in spirit. That I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm part of the body of Christ, and I'm part of a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And you look at that, and you say, how can all of that be true? Not because I'm great, not because I keep the law, but it's true because Jesus kept the law, because he died the death I deserved, and because he rose from the dead. This is true simply and solely by divine power, the power of God displayed in the gospel. And it's true for a purpose, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. 
See, when we depend on the law, we have something to boast in. We can feel good about ourselves when we're performing well. But when we depend on Jesus, then he alone gets the glory. We realize that our goodness is actually filthy rags in God's sight. But then he's given us his righteousness. Our only response is to, to, to declare his praise. City like you, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, what's been said about you, what you believe about yourself. Jesus loves you. He paid for you with his blood. And all you have to do to receive the favor of God is to believe in Jesus to live a life of dependence on the gospel, to rest in the power of God and trust in Jesus as the only one who can restore you into right relationship with God. There are, two, or there are two paths. Will you choose to rely on human effort or will you choose to rely on divine power? See, this picture of two covenants, it's important for us today because ultimately these two covenants lead us on two very different paths with two very different ends. We're going to look at those paths and the end of those paths um, to close out tonight. Verses 28 to 31. Paul writes, Now you, brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman woman. So as, we, as we've seen, these, these two paths, the path of human effort and of divine power, lead in two different directions. They're completely opposed to each other. And in verse 29, we get an interesting insight into the story of Ishmael and Isaac, because Paul tells us that, that Ishmael persecuted Isaac. And then he says that the same is going to be true for you today. Those born according to the flesh, persecuting those born according to the Spirit. Those depending on religion are going to be opposed to those who depend on Jesus. And why is that? Because salvation by faith in Jesus is a wildly offensive to the message to the self-righteous and religious person. The people who are seeking to be made right in the eyes of the law are always insecure because they don't know if they're doing enough. They're offended in their insecurity. They're also offended because salvation by faith tells the religious that they, even in all of their goodness, are so sinful that Jesus had to die for them. See, salvation by faith tells the religious that no matter how hard they try, no matter how well they keep the law, no matter how much they give to the church, they cannot be right with God. As a result, their lives are trapped in slavery. The end is slavery. The slavery of their own righteousness. So as a result, they then persecute those who preach the true gospel with confidence because as they look at their lives, they're insecure about themselves. So friends, don't be surprised if even this Easter, as you celebrate with your family and friends and, and you share with them that Easter actually means something to you because you believe that Jesus died for your sins and then rose from the dead, don't be surprised if you're made fun of it's nothing new. It's been happening for thousands of years. And honestly, it's probably a good sign that you're believing the true gospel. So after explaining this allegory, Paul closes with, with an action step and an encouragement. He tells the Galatians Christians that they need to get rid of the false teaching that was plaguing them. 
seeking to be made right with the law cannot coexist with seeking to be made right through faith. See, this ends in slavery, but then Paul goes on and he says that dependence on the gospel, well, that leads to freedom. Completely different from each other. Human effort, divine power, dependence on the law, dependence on the gospel, slavery, and freedom. There are two paths. This path of human effort is defined by dependence on the law. And its end, well, it results in slavery. The gospel, divine power, that life is defined by dependence on the gospel. And it results in freedom. Human effort, defined by dependence on the law, resulting in freedom, or divine power, defined by dependence on the gospel that results in freedom. The choice is ours. We must pick a side. We must choose. Will I rely on human effort, or will I rely on divine power? To let you, Paul has spent four chapters telling us in many different ways why it's important to choose the path that leads to freedom, the path that leads to life. But I would sum up what he said in four chapters by saying this. The reason that we care what path you take is because your life depends on it. And I know I, I speak for the whole staff team as we say the reason that we're preaching through Galatians is because we desperately want you to know the good news of Jesus. We love you, and we believe with all of our hearts that our only hope is found in Jesus. Our only hope is on the path of divine power. And so if you find yourself in a place today where you used to really trust in Jesus and believe in him for for everything, but now you've started to to believe the lie that, that you actually need to perform a little bit in order to please God, I would ask you to confess that sin to the Lord tonight to repent, to ask him to forgive you, and to take courage, because you're not alone in that place. The Galatian church was in a very similar spiritual condition. And be encouraged that at the end of this section, Paul closes the whole entire argument by telling them this. He says, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So even though their struggle is real, their struggle to believe the gospel is real. Paul reminds them of their true identity. Their true identity is of children, is children of God. So struggling Christian, take heart, take courage that if your faith is in Jesus, then you are hidden in Christ. That you are a spiritual child of Sarah. You're on the right path. So stay on the path of divine power. Live a life that is defined by dependence on the gospel, knowing that the result of that life is freedom. And if you're not yet a Christian, then the truth of the matter is right now you're on the wrong path, that you're on the path of human effort that's defined by dependence on the law and resulting in slavery. And I need to tell you that if you continue on that path, then the end of that path is not just slavery, it's death. It's eternal separation from the God who loves you. But there's hope for you even in this moment, that if you'll confess your sins to God, if you'll turn from your sins and place your faith in 
in Jesus and Jesus alone, then God will forgive you. He will welcome you into his family. He will welcome you into the path that leads to life. You don't have to remain in slavery. I don't care how bad you think you are or how good you think you are. Jesus died for you. So will you trust him today? Band, you guys can come on up. And City Let You, I would leave you with this. We have a choice each and every day. We must pick a side. Will you choose to rely on human effort or divine power? The path of human effort is defined by a life that's dependent upon the law, and its results is slavery. Divine power, that's defined by dependence on the gospel that results in freedom. Jesus is enough. There's one path that leads to life, and it's him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that, that you have shown us the path of life. God, that you rescued us from the domain of darkness and you brought us into your kingdom of, of light. That is not based on what we've done. Rather, it's your grace. God, we are so bad that you had to die for us. And we're so loved that you did it. So, Father, would, would we live a life that is dependent upon you? God, dependent upon your power, not our own, trusting in your work and not our own, knowing that the end of that life is freedom, purpose. We thank you, Father, for who you are. We thank you that you love us. In Jesus' name, amen.